Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by with the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Father, uh, we are so grateful for your word. And as your people, as we sit under the instruction of your word, would you teach us? Uh, Would you um, instruct us? Would you guide us? Would you lead us in the way that you would have us go? Would you prepare the hearts of your people to receive? Would you prepare me to speak uh, that you might be glorified? In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, well, good morning for those of you that don't know me. My name is John. Uh, let me add my welcome to Kendra's and say happy Thanksgiving. I, I don't really know what Thanksgiving is, but happy Thanksgiving. Um, if you uh, haven't been with us for a while or if you're visiting us this morning, let me welcome you. But I want to help orientate you this morning because um, we've jumped back into our First Corinthians series and uh, we've been on a summer break and we've jumped back in. And uh, frankly, we've jumped back in in the deep end. I'm sure you've all felt that. Um, we are talking uh, spiritual gifts. If you've been around, you'll have noticed that we have been in these same verses for three weeks now. And um, you're thinking, this is an oversight. Um, it's not an oversight. This is not me correcting all of Brett's bad theology over the last couple of weeks. No, um, the reason we are going over these verses, over these, um, it, it's been intentional. It's been intentional because, one, there's so much to see here. I'm sure if you're part of a community group, you've had discussions, you realize there is a lot to talk about. Um, but also because this topic is one of the most contentious topics in the church. It's a topic that has seemingly caused division in the Corinthian church, but they're always divided about everything. But it's one that has the potential to divide us too. And so there's an appropriate caution as we approach this topic. Now, there's lots of reasons why church communities divide and split down the middle. Some are more understandable than others. I heard a story, this is a true story, just this week. A first-hand story from a pastor who was associated with a church that had a vote on whether or not they were going to move from pews to chairs. Now, we've all been through it. (laughs) Highly contentious. They had a congregational vote and their worst fears were met. Perfect 50-50 split. What do you do? What do you do? Well, in an attempt to maintain unity in an admirable if not short-sighted decision, they decided to replace half of the pews with chairs. Problem solved. Problem created. What happened was the people who voted for the pews realized that the chairs were more comfortable. And on Sunday, they start sitting in the chair. Obviously, the chair voters are furious. Further conflict. I think it was resolved with much prayer Uh, repentance, and the purchasing of 50 more chairs. 
Um, there's lots of reasons why church communities can be in conflict, and it seems there are no topics more volatile, uh, more contentious, more explosive, shall we say, than the spiritual gifts. And there's a reason for that, isn't there? Because this is serious stuff. It's serious on the one hand because there's big theological implications when we talk about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and therefore, rightfully, deep convictions. On the other hand, this topic is deeply personal, full of both painful and hurtful experiences and exciting and life-changing experiences. And full transparency, I've had both, both hurtful and life-changing experiences under this topic. I grew up, as some of you uh, know already, in a fairly charismatic church, if that's the right way to distinguish it. And it was a wonderful church and still is a wonderful church and uh, many um, amazing experiences there. And I mentioned this before, it's kind of gone down in the folklore of myself, is another church moved next door called Mountain of Fire and Miracles Church. And let's face it, we were no longer the charismatic church in the neighborhood. Um, they made us look positively Baptist. Um, a type of church that makes you want to run. Run away from any talk of the Holy Spirit. So, here's the question. How are we to talk about this topic? Or even, even, even practically engage in this topic of spiritual gifts in a healthy way? In a way that isn't going to be hurtful and damaging. In a way that is not going to cause the conflict and the issues and the divisions that we saw in church in Corinth and maybe we've experienced ourselves. That's what I want to talk about today. So here's what we're going to do. I want to conclude this section by calling out three key characteristics of the gifts of the Spirit that I think the Apostle Paul is trying to emphasize for the church. I think this is what Paul is trying to do in this section. Three characteristics that are intended to help the Corinthian church approach and navigate the gifts well. And hopefully it will help us as a community to approach and navigate the gifts well too. So here we go. Three characteristics of the gifts of the Spirit. Number one, empowered. Number two, purposed. Number three, apportioned. Empowered, purposed. And a portion. So, number one, empowered. Last week, Brett helpfully, I think, took us through the nine gifts that are listed for us in 1 Corinthians. And he mentioned, didn't he, that this is not an exhaustive list. In fact, there are other lists, if you read around the New Testament, other lists of gifts of the Spirit. Um, but this is probably the most well-known list. Um, if you've heard about the gifts of the Spirit before, from prophecy to healing, from miracles to tongues. Um, one of Paul's points in listing the gifts is not only to give us examples of what gifts there are, which I think is helpful, um, but it's to show that there is a diversity, a, a variety in the gifts. There's a broad set of gifts. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look into why that diversity matters. And what that diversity looks like in a church community. But I think we would miss the main point. We would miss the main point of this section if we were at this stage to focus on the diversity of the gifts. If we were at this point to, to focus on the gifts themselves. Which I know from our conversation is, is the temptation, right? 
community group conversations, the, the temptation is to go straight into usually one or two of the gifts, right? Let's be honest. Look again at how Paul frames the list. Paul writes in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Then he goes on and gives the gift list. And then he doubles down at the end, closes it off, bookends it. In verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Here's what we're supposed to see. While Paul gives us a list of gifts, a list of the variety of gifts, what we're supposed to see is not the diversity of the gifts, but the oneness of the giver. Not the diversity of the gifts, but the oneness of the giver. Six times in eight verses, Paul uses the same term, same, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. He's reiterating the point over and over again so that a divided church in Corinth might not miss there is only one God behind the gifts. Think about it. All these spiritual gifts, there's only one God. It's the same God. So the same God who spoke the world into being in Genesis, the same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the same God of Moses and the Exodus and the law and the prophets, the same God who came to us in the person of Jesus, the same God who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again to new life, the same God that we pray to, the same God that comforts us, the same God that sustains us, the same God that saves us is the same God behind the gifts of the Spirit. And Christ City, this is important because this has major implications of how we approach the gifts. The first obvious implication is that the works of God are never disassociated with the character of God. The works of God are never detached from the character of God. You know, it is right that we have alarm bells going off when we see communities trying to operate in the gifts of the Spirit where we don't see any evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. That's right. The fruit of the Spirit, if you're unfamiliar with it this morning, is, is the character of God manifested in the believer through the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, we're going to produce the character of God in our lives. Galatians 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the character of God in the life of the Christian. Maybe you've been in that environment before. I have. Lots of apparent gifts, no apparent fruit. Maybe that's the reason why you have avoided the gifts like the plague. What we'll see in the next chapter, in chapter 13, is Paul addressing a community where the gifts are in operation, but fruit is not. And let me give you a little preview. It's not very good. Christ said, if the gifts are empowered by God, then authentic gifts should be accompanied by the character of God. If the gifts are to be at work among us, then the fruit of the Spirit will also be at work among us. The second implication of the gifts being empowered by God, that God is the source of all the gifts, is that it changes how we conceive of the gifts. Let me explain what I mean by that. 
I think there are two ways that we can conceive of the gifts. One is what we might call a transactional way, and the other we might call a relational way. One is a transactional, the other is a relational. The transactional way is when we think of the gifts of the Spirit like, like birthday presents. My, my middle son Noah uh, had his second birthday this week. Um, and uh, he got lots of gifts. Uh, Noah's grandparents bought him a little like ukulele guitar. It's really cute, but if you know Noah, like he's just gonna smack his brother with it and chew it. You know, it's like he's he's yeah. Um, but as you know, if you've got grandparents that are far away, you are under obligation to film the gift opening event. Right? You know it. You're under obligation. So either FaceTime or a video, the present opening moment, and we say, Noah, Noah, this is from Nana and Granddad. Can you say thank you, Nana and Granddad? He's like, oh, thank you, Nana and Granddad. And then he opens the gifts, and then we, we double down. Noah, that's from Nana and Granddad. Can you say thank you, Nana and Granddad? Thank you, Nana and Granddad. <laughs> well, why do we do this? One of the reasons we do this is because we want to ensure that our kids know and appreciate who got them the gift? So that they can associate the gift with the giver. But here's what I found. It doesn't matter how much effort we make. No matter how much my kids understand that it came from Nana and Granddad, once that gift has been given, the transaction is complete. <laughs> it's theirs. Something that was in the possession of the grandparents is Handed over and now in the possession of Noah to do with how he sees fit, which is hit his brother and chew on it. That's not how this works. That's not how the spiritual gifts work. That's not how the gifts are described to us. This is not a transaction between you and God. No, I think it would be better to think of the gifts as less what God has given you and more what God is going to give through you. The gifts of the Spirit are God working with us, in relationship with us. They're less transactional and more relational in that we get to participate in what God is doing in the world, in our lives, in the church. Brant Van Rokel, who is the lead pastor of Christ City Kits, he gave me this illustration. I'll credit him. Uh, he said the gifts of the Spirit are more like water running through a tap. Right? The tap has been designed, purposefully made, intentionally made to be a conduit, to be worked through, not to be in possession of the water, but to be a vessel for the water. And church, that, that's true of us. Do you know that? Do you know that you have been designed, created for, intentionally, purposefully, to be a conduit of God's grace and his mercy, of God's love and his wisdom, even his healing power and his liberating power. You have been designed to be that. We are the tap. He is the water. Now, you might think that this analogy is, a, is you know, it's just Brandt being abstract. Uh, but Jesus uses this analogy of water as well, and he's using it as he's referring to the work of the Spirit through the Christian. He says this in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. Christ City, the gifts of the Spirit are empowered by God, which means that when we operate in the gifts, it's God's power working through us. It's God's power working through us. Let me just say as an aside, a thirsty world is looking for water. And church was supposed to be taps with the power of God, the character of God flowing through us. When they need a drink, they want to come here and find water. Okay, next question. Power for what? Power for what? what what's this purpose? Number one, empowered. Number two, purposed. I'm sure, like me, uh, you've had some good uh, conversations over the last couple of weeks uh, in your community groups, uh, very interesting conversations. What's been most interesting to me is just hearing people's stories, right? People's history with the gifts, varied experiences with the gifts of the Spirit. One of the things that stood out to me from the conversation is that while there are those of us who are adamantly closed off to the gifts and often that's understandable because of uh, really uh, damaging experiences that people have had and there are those of us who are just like wide open they're like finally they're talking about this stuff um that's you um the majority of us have what i would say is on the one hand a a very clear theological category for this stuff and on the other uh, no real practical utility for it we have a, a defined theological category. We're like, yes, we're, what did Brett say? Continuationists. We're not cessationists. We're continuationists. Right, theological category. But no real practical utility for them. Maybe that's you this morning. The door is uh, open, as it were, but you don't really see the need to step in. Now, there's a variety of reasons why this might be the case. Maybe it's because... Uh, you see the gifts as unnecessary. Maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've never really engaged with this topic at all and you think to yourself, why would I engage now? Maybe you think the gifts are unhelpful. You know, theoretically, you're not against the gifts of the spirits, but why bother with them if it's going to rock the boat here? You know, if this, if this topic has such potential for division as it did in Corinth, and as it has done in church history, why bother with them at all? Why not just take a wide berth? And by the way, I have thought both of these at various times in the not-too-recent history. I've been challenged as I've been reading and preparing over the summer as the team has been preparing for this. I've been challenged that I have... Uh, functionally thought that these are unnecessary, maybe unhelpful. And I'll say this for me and maybe gently to you as well if you're in this camp, I think there's a real arrogance to this type of posture towards the spiritual gift. Here's a question. Who determines what is necessary for the church? Who decides what will be helpful for the church in accomplishing its mission in the world. Who decides? It's not us. 
I don't think Jesus or Paul or any of the New Testament writers, for that matter, allow us to self-select the Christian experience based on what we think is best. And I think that includes the spiritual gifts. Why? Because if the gifts are from God, then they must be intended to fulfill his purpose. His purpose. Often we neglect the gifts because we are intending to fulfill our purpose. It may sound simple, but why would God give us gifts if he didn't intend us to use them? So what is their purpose? What is the point of spiritual gifts? What's the point? Well, I think Paul gives us the the start of the answer in in verse 7. He says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Paul says that the gifts of the Spirit are meant to be for the benefit and the flourishing of the community in which they operate. That's us. That's us. So it means that it's beneficial for us if you operate in a spiritual gift. That makes sense, doesn't it, based on what we've previously seen. If the, if the gifts of the Spirit are inextricably connected to the character of God, this character of, that's been revealed to us as a self-sacrificial love for the other, then we would expect that the purpose of the gifts would be to express that love, would be to uh, manifest that love in, in some way or another. Pastor and theologian Sam Storms puts it like this, the gifts are other-oriented. That's what we would expect from a God of love, of self-sacrificial love for the other. These gifts are other-oriented. So the gifts are not just for your benefit, but they're for the benefit of your family. The gifts are not just for your benefit, but they're for the benefit of your community group, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not just for you, they're for us. I actually think we can take the purpose further. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Brett listed out various works of the Spirit in the life of the believer, which is broader than just simply the gifts, right? A really good thing to do, if you haven't done this already, go through your New Testament, highlight the Holy Spirit every time he's mentioned, and see the amount of stuff that the Holy Spirit does. See what the Holy Spirit is doing in that particular passage. The Holy Spirit is much more than the gifts, but not less than the gifts. But if we were to summarize what the work of the Spirit is in the, in the life of the believer or the work of the Spirit in the world, why did the Holy Spirit come? It's summarized, I think, well by Jesus in John 16, where he says this, He will glorify me. He will glorify me. The Spirit will glorify Jesus. And so when the Spirit works through us, it is for the purpose, not just of the common good, but in bringing glory to the name of Jesus. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. Christ says, let me suggest that when we avoid the spiritual gifts, individually and maybe corporately as a church, we are missing opportunities to bring glory to the name of Christ. We're missing opportunities. So there's two parts to this answer. What's the purpose of the spiritual gifts? One, we see in Paul, the common good. The second, the glory of God. The common good and the glory of God. Now, we might think that these are two separate answers, two parts to an answer, but I want to suggest this morning that they are one and the same answer. One and the same answer. That our good can only be found in God's glory and that God's glory is revealed 
in the common good of a community. Let me say that again. Our good can only be found in God's glory. Our good as a community can only be found when Jesus is glorified. And God's glory is revealed in a flourishing community. Jonathan Edwards, the famous 18th century preacher, puts it like this. God, in seeking his glory, seeks the good of his creatures. And in communicating his fullness for them, he does it for himself because their good, which he seeks, is so much in union and communion with himself, God is their good. Now let me say that again because Edwards is difficult. And I want you to sit in this and think about this. God, in seeking his glory, seeks the good of his creatures. And in communicating his fullness for them, he does it for himself. Because their good, which he seeks, is so much in union and communion with himself, God is their good. Edwards is saying that our good, not just as individuals, but as a community, is so tied to, is so dependent on God, that when God is glorified, when we make much of him, when we worship him, when we are obedient to him, it always leads to our flourishing. God gifts the church spiritual gifts for the good of the church and for the glory of his name. For the good of the church and for the glory of his name. Listen to how the apostle Peter puts it in 1 Peter 4. He says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, to him, Christ City, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Christ City, the gifts of the Spirit are empowered by God and they are empowered purposed by him. They are from him and they are for him. And as the Spirit works through us, God is glorified. Jesus is glorified among us. And as Jesus is glorified, this community flourishes. The gifts are not unnecessary to what we do here. The gifts are not unhelpful for what we are trying to achieve. They are a key part of God's plan for us for his glory and for our good. So, number one, empowered. Number two, purposed. Third, apportioned. Apportioned. In verse 11, we read this. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, not only are the gifts from God, empowered by God and for his purposes, but it is also according to his will and his wisdom who gets what gift, when, and in what measure. God decides. We just read Peter who said, we are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul says in Romans 12, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Well, practically, this is what this means. It means that we will operate in different gifts from one another and in different measure. And there may be seasons in your life 
where you operate in different gifts or you operate more or less in different gifts according to his will. And that's true not just individually. I believe that's true corporately as well as the church. The history of the church seems to suggest that there are moments and places and and communities where the gifts are more or less frequent. And different gifts are more or less frequent at different times. So when it comes to the spiritual gifts, there is a humility that we need to have because there is an apportioning that is sovereignly ordained by God. There is an apportioning that is sovereignly ordained by God. That's how the gifts are described. As the Spirit wills, they are individually apportioned. But there's a caution here. There's a caution when when we talk about the idea of apportioning. Here's the caution. Uh, I've been in the church context before. Maybe you've been in the church context as well, where the desire for more gifts, which I believe is is good and biblical, uh, that this desire is accompanied by the language of wanting more of God, right? So so we're we're praying that the Holy Spirit would would move among us, that, that we would be gifted more, and we say, we want more of you, Lord. We want more of you. And, and you know what? I, I appreciate the sentiment, but I actually think that language can be unhelpful. Here's why. God apportions gifts. He doesn't apportion himself. God apportions gifts. He does not apportion himself. You know, when you put your trust in Jesus, you don't get some of God. You get all of God. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he didn't do so in order that you might have part of him or some of him or a portion of him. He did so in order that you might have all of him so that the fullness of who you are might be in union with the fullness of who he is. That is what you have received in Jesus. And by the way, if you have not yet received Jesus, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, that is what is on offer. The fullness of who you are in union with the fullness of who God is. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You know, I think the type of language that says that we have more or less of God, I think it undermines the gospel among us. This type of language, it undermines the truth of the gospel that we get all of God when we get all of Christ. You don't need more of God. If you're in Christ, you have all of him. This type of language of having more or less of God can also lead us to think that their varied gifts between us is an indication of God's varied love for us. Right? Someone's more gifted, God must love them more. I'm less gifted, God must love love me less. You need to hear this. This is really important. The measure of your gifting is not a measure of God's love for you. Jesus is the measure of God's love for you. Jesus is the measure of God's love for you. You may or may not know this, but I'm the, um, I'm the middle of three boys. That probably explains quite a lot, actually. Um, three brothers. Um, and when you're in the middle of three brothers, uh, necessarily you fight and uh, do all that good stuff. You also compare yourselves with one another. And one of the ways that it's easy to compare yourself as three brothers is um, compare uh, how your dad treats you. You know, who's the favorite? 
Uh, as young boys, we would vie for my dad's attention and we would really feel it if we felt like we were getting less of it um, or if someone else was receiving more of it. Growing up, if my dad was doing something, he would, he would always get us involved in some way. We would participate in some way and, and my dad would get us to do different things. Um, now, as God would have it, I am the father of three boys. <laughs> and the middle one, no. <laughs> No. My perspective has changed from being a son vying for the attention of the father to being a father having his attention vied for. And when I'm doing something, like I'm in the garden or something like that, they all want to get involved. Well, mainly the other, one of them's a baby. I'm sure he'll want to get involved. They want to get involved. They want to participate. And I, and I give them different things to do. And this is what this change of perspective has shown me. It's showing me that my dad didn't need my help. He wanted my help. My dad didn't need my help. He wanted my help. His involving one of my brothers didn't diminish his love and affection for me. There was enough love to go around. And he didn't give me something different because he loved me any less. He gave me something different because he knew me intimately. He knows me. He knew my differences. He knew the best way to get me involved. In Christ City, if it's true of my dad, how much more true of our Father in heaven? God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He calls us to participate with him, to join him in what he's doing with all of our flaws and all of our failures and all of our weaknesses and ignorance. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And God gifts us differently. And that doesn't in any way diminish his love for you because he gives one person more than he gives you. It doesn't in any way diminish his love for you because he gives you differently to another person. It doesn't in any way diminish his love for you. God knows you perfectly. He made you. He designed you. And he knows what gifts are best for you. Christ City, God apportions gifts. He doesn't apportion himself. Let me end with this. I'm hoping that over the last three weeks, and as we continue on on this topic, you will be more and more convinced that um, it's a good thing if we as a church were to operate in the spiritual gifts more and more. And I say more because um, if you've been around here, you know that the spiritual gifts are in operation here in many ways. And it's a joy to be part of this community. But maybe what you're looking for as someone who has maybe had the door wide open but not yet stepped in is a how. How do you lean into this yourself? How do you step into this if you've not already stepped in? Let me quickly give you four steps that you can take. Four steps that you can take if you want this. Number one, desire with the right motives. Desire with the right motives. Paul says in chapter 14, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Nothing is going to happen Unless you start with a desire. If you're closed off to it, nothing's going to happen. But our desire for the gifts should be motivated with their intended purpose in mind. With the three points from this sermon in view. God's glory and our good, not our glory. Second, ask with contentment. Ask with contentment. Again, Paul in chapter 14 is going to encourage the Corinthian church to pray for certain gifts. But let me just say, as we pray, as we ask God for certain gifts, 
We do so with a certain contentedness, knowing that if God wants to gift us, he will, and that God will gift us as a good father gifts his children. A contentedness, as we ask. Number three, discern in community. You know, we, we don't do this for ourselves, but we also don't do this by ourselves. You know, people in your community group, people who are community group leaders, people on staff, other people in this community who have more experience in this than you do, who have studied the scriptures more than you have. And it's helpful to do this in community. If they know you and they love you and they know God and they love God, they are good people to ask for advice on how you might step into this. Lastly, for Try with humility. Try with humility. We should look for opportunities to use these gifts in your community groups, when you're praying for people, between gatherings. Why not? If someone is sick, why don't you pray for healing? Just a thought. When we approach the gifts with humility and in community, we can try and it's safe to fail. Even when we get it wrong, it doesn't change how much we're loved. Would you please stand as we respond?